matter where I go, people secretly and sometimes openly want to know how I can afford to travel year round. While I've spent over a decade traveling, I'm not even at the halfway point of seeing all 195 countries. However, there are quite a bit of people who have visited every country in the world. I plan to talk to all of them, asking them the sacrifices they've made to see every country, what were their favorites and least favorites, their craziest experiences, tips on how we can travel more, and yes, how they can afford to travel nonstop. I'm Kevin Liu, the host of the Pick My Adventure show, and I'm glad you're ready to hear what it takes to be one of the world's most traveled. to welcome Gunnar Garforce to the show today. Gunnar, thank you very much for joining us. Gunnar has been to every country, not once, but twice, and you are the only person to do that in the world, as far as I know. Uh, let me ask you, does your family think that you are crazy for uh, <laughs> traveling so much? Well, I don't know if I have any family left, actually. You know, they're... Uh... <laughs> No, they, they kind of gave up on that, um, especially my mom. She was trying to, you know, talk me out of traveling to certain countries. And then, you know, I still travel there. But uh, so she kind of gave up on, on, on that. But uh, no, it's, it's very important uh, to me to, to meet my family um, as often as I can. They live in Norway. I have uh, quite a big family, three brothers and three sisters, plus my parents. So, um, and also um, a girlfriend uh, as well. So, uh, no, it's very important for me to, to uh, meet them as much as possible, either at home or, or to travel with them. So, you know, it's, um, you should never uh, forget about uh, people close to you. I, I think that's very important. Sure. So how many days of the year are you on the road? Oh, that varies quite a bit, but uh, yeah, typically between, I guess, 150 and 200. Uh, every year. Um, currently, I, uh, write, I'm, I'm living uh, from travel. I write travel books primarily and do presentations uh, around the world. So, um, yeah, so every, everything is sort of based on, on travels. So uh, needless to say, I, uh, I'm, uh, I'm uh, yeah, not in Oslo very much, let's say. <laughs> sure, sure. And your, is your girlfriend also in Oslo or...? Where, where yeah, she, she is. Uh, she's currently she's uh, actually um, Finnish, Irish, American, Sudanese. So uh, she, yeah. um, you, you, you can say she can she can travel. She loves to travel as well. Uh, currently, she's in Oslo, she's in Oslo um, but um, she she used to live in Sudan, and because of the war there, she had to. Uh, well, she just had to to flee as a lot of other people. So um, so that's um, a bit. Uh, difficult so the circumstances are not uh, not ideal but currently she um she, she's there in oslo with me <laughs> well can i ask like <clears throat> I, I know being on the road so much uh, traveling it can not be conducive to a, a typical relationship how is it that you guys met and how do you uh, how does your relationship function when you're on the road so much do you spend a lot of time traveling together as well yeah, well, uh, coincidentally, we met at a, at a conference for extreme travelers uh, in, in Yerevan, mm. in Armenia. Um, and both of us, we were speaking there and we, we kind of hit it on and uh, pretty much instantly fell in love. Uh, <laughs> and so since then, we've, we've traveled quite a bit together, uh, both in Norway and uh, I think in, <clears throat> in quite a few, you know, over 20 countries, you know, um, uh, as well. So, um, you know, I have some projects and she has some projects and then we also try to do travel together uh, quite a bit for, for, you know, let's say common projects or just common travels. Um, so, um, so sometimes uh, she takes the lead, sometimes I take the lead and uh, the rest of the time we, we just fight about where we should travel, you know, so no, <laughs> it, it's great. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that is really great. It's, it's a very ideal situation because I find when I, I'm traveling, it's very hard to meet someone that's very compatible, right? I mean, they don't always have the ability to pick up and go and travel somewhere. But also there's the problem of how they're financing it and how you actually can work together and travel. Uh, for me, I find the difficult thing is sometimes the, the people that I meet traveling, maybe they're traveling for three or four months and they aren't, uh, they don't really have one foot in the real world. Whereas I, I always say that I have like one foot in the real world where I work, I make money, and then I have one foot in this hippie nomad community. 
and I try to balance, do the best to balance both of that out. Um, how long have you guys been together? And, and uh, do both of you make your money, make your living uh, on the road? Is it through travel? Yeah, well, I uh, work as an author and, let's say, a, a speaker. So it's all based on, on travel. She's working in education. Um, so, uh, you know, due to the war in Sudan, she, she lost her job. The, her employer had to sort of also um, leave the country. So, um, so yeah, but currently she's, she's looking at um, various opportunities in uh, education. Um, but, um, you know, she, she's been traveling quite a lot and, and been working from wherever she's been in the world on the road. She's had a job where it's been possible to do that within, uh, uh, within the educational strategy and so on. So, um, yes, we're sort of, uh, we're a good fit when it comes to travel, I would say. And, um, even though we have totally different, uh, uh let's say, uh, uh, what, what should I say? Paths for, for, for income. Um, but we managed to, in each our way to, to work a lot on the road and, um, you know, it, also the styles of traveling together, you know, it, it matters quite a bit that you, uh, you don't get too, too annoyed at each other and, uh, you kind of manage to, uh, um, to find common interests and, you know, go to places both want to go to. Um, or at least compromise and, and, and so on. So uh, yeah, we've been uh, we've been lucky there. We've been together for 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 almost a year now. Oh, good, good. It's good to hear. I always like to hear about these perpetual travelers finding love because a lot of times that can be very elusive. I, I think a lot of travelers that I've talked to, um, they have had they have bypassed romance or or love, uh, marriage or kids in order to accomplish this goal of seeing every country. Uh, can I ask you what made you want to see every country in the world, not once, but twice, like the first time around, when, when did you decide I want to see every country? And then second time, what yeah. did you say? let me do this? I, think I, was, I started traveling alone. I mean, with, without my family, when I was 17, I went on interrail by train around Europe with a friend and that really, uh, appealed to me. Uh, very, very much. And then in 2004, I, um, I went to um, the first Stan countries. I went to Kyrgyzstan and Kazakhstan with my brother, Oystan. And I just totally fell in love with, with the Stans. And I decided to go to every Stan country in the world. And uh, well, a few years later, I, I finished all the seven Stans. And then I kind of wanted to have another goal, let's say a travel goal. And then I decided to visit every country in the world. By then I, I'd been to around 80, I think, or 85. Um, and then in 2013, I, I finished all uh, 198 as, as I count. And, um, and then I promised myself, I'm never going to do anything like this ever again, you know, because, you know, you really have to go to this country and this country and this country, even though you might have, you want to go to a different country, but you have to kind of finish that kind of, that list, if you like. Um, and then I started writing a book or researching a book about the, the least visited countries in the world. Um, and the UN or the UN's uh, World Tourism Organization, they have a list, but that doesn't cover every country in the world. So um, most countries that don't have many tourists, they don't uh, report numbers to this, uh, this particular list. So I had to find the numbers myself by interviewing um, yeah, hoteliers. I had to interview people in, in the airports and in, in ports. Um, the police officers, uh, custom uh, services, and, and so on and so forth, in order to make the complete list. And finally, I managed to to um, to, to uh, uh, get to the numbers from all 198 countries. And in the process of doing this, of course, I had to visit all these countries that are least visited or you know not many tourists go to. And for some reason, I just started counting. So, how many countries have I visited at least twice? And I realized I was only missing 25 or 30. And I don't know, then I, I, I kind of challenged myself, said, okay, uh, screw it. I'm, I'm, I'm going to finish off uh, those uh, 25 or 30 countries for the second time. So it kind of came out from book research and then um, just randomly counting and then, and then say, wow, that sounds, um, that sounds like a stupid idea. So <laughs> I'm, um, 
I don't know. I, I, I have quite a few strange ideas and way too often I, I kind of follow through with them. So, and then in, when was that? 2018, I finished uh, every country uh, for the second time. Okay. So do you display obsessive compulsive uh, traits in other parts of your life? I mean, it sounds like <laughs> just, Hey, you know, like you always want to finish something or you want to be the first to accomplish something. Is this something that uh, in other parts of your life that are rampant? Uh, that's a good question. I, I don't think, um, I don't think so. I mean, when it comes to travel, that's very important to me. And I, I feel I've learned so much from travel. I met so many truly incredible people. I've learned a lot about a lot of the countries, about the cultures, about food, about religions, and so on and so forth. I've also learned a lot about myself, uh, not least from, from actually sort of observing uh, the Western world or the Western bubble that, that a lot of us are fortunate enough to, to live within and seeing this privilege that we have, that we're actually able to travel. Uh, and then also observing how so many of us just take this for granted. And we meet so many people from, from you know, the poorest countries in the world. Um, and and just, uh, you know, we're being invited to parties maybe or weddings or whatnot. And we don't really care or even to ask about their situations or whether they would like to travel maybe. And, you know, I met this guy from Costa Rica and, and he was asking me a lot about travels and different countries and everything. And he said, Gunnar, this is really incredible to listen to. You know what? I, I wish I could also travel to, to foreign countries. Um, I don't have a passport to do that. I don't have the money. I don't think I can ever travel to a lot of countries, especially not outside Central America. But I really wish I, I could do that. And that really struck a note with me. And I, I, you know, that really got me thinking. And I said, of course, a lot of people think this way. They're welcoming. They're so nice to a lot of travelers and welcoming us into their homes and showing them around, um, even though they know that maybe they will never be, be able to travel themselves. Um, so I think um, travel, if travel doesn't humble you, I, I don't think anything uh, does. And I really think that we should uh, appreciate this privilege we do have, having strong passports, having decent incomes, having time off to, to travel, um, have, living in democracies with decent infrastructures and all the rest of it. Uh, so, so, you know, so, so traveling and, and, and seeing the, a lot of the world has, uh, has hopefully at least given me that, um, that insight. And seeing that Western bubble from the outside is, is quite valuable as well, I think. That's a really good point. I mean, I, I meet a lot of people and they they are so very friendly all across the world. And I remember um, being out in Ukraine uh, a few years back before the war. And one of the guys I met there came from Turkey and he was talking about how um, and I ended up partying with him for a few days. But he talked about how there's limited places that he can go to. And in terms of how much he makes uh, in Turkey. So it was like basically Ukraine or Thailand were some of his preferred places. He couldn't get into the uh, EU. Uh, there's just so many places. Uh, you know, Norway has one of the strongest passports. U.S. has a, a very strong passport as well. But it is um, disheartening because I, I want people to be able to see more of the world, see other countries and the realities for other people from what they make in their local environments. It just doesn't afford that a lot, a lot of times. Um, can I ask uh, about the book that you wrote? You, uh, the twenty least visited countries. What is that book about, and what did you learn from spending time in those environments? Yeah, I was, so I've, I'm sort of counting down, and I'm, I'm doing the twenty least visited countries, as you say, um, the, the least visited, uh, and this was before the pandemic, so the numbers have changed a tiny bit, but it's sort of a snapshot of, let's say, previous, uh, previous normality. Um, and I assume that, that the numbers will be pretty similar after uh, after the pandemic is, is totally over. I mean, we see North Korea is still closed down. So currently, North Korea is the least visited country in the world. Whereas on in my book, it's not even among the top 20 because they get quite a few uh, Chinese tourists. So I think they're number 34 or something uh, on the list. Um, also, last year, Turkmenistan was closed down and, and, and various other countries so so this this again was before the pandemic 
uh, traveling to these countries and it was it, to me it was yes of course i needed to find numbers of of, of of how many tourists were visiting but i also wanted to meet uh, like normal people uh, <laughs> and speak to them and uh, and there are so many incredible stories there uh, very strong um, experiences uh, tragedies uh, funny stories and, and all the rest of it um so it was sort of a dive into local communities in these 20 uh, countries um, although I also did research in, in, in some others because I didn't know which 20 countries we'd be talking about until I finished all the research. Um, so, uh, but I, I, so I think actually I, I made the first complete list of tourist numbers to, to every country in the world uh, doing this book. It's called Elsewhere. It's coming out, um, it's coming out in, in, on a UK publisher, Broken Sleep Books, it's called, in, in September this year. Um, so it's going to be um, it's going to be uh, out with uh, with a lot of photos and everything. It's a really beautifully done book, uh, and I didn't design it, but there's really a skillful designer that did. Uh, it's also out in Hungarian of all uh, all languages. Um, so so what I I, I learned uh, I don't know it's it's a tough question. I met so many different kinds of people. It was from everybody from from aid workers and uh, and teachers uh, to, to to doctors uh, transport workers uh, <laughs> uh, you know fishermen and, and all the rest of it and you, you sort of get an insight into the to, into their lives and i'm trying to um explain as good as as i can um, you know how how they're getting by in, in, in their countries and and how they're looking upon travel um and maybe why also touching upon why there are so few uh, so few tourists uh, to, to coming to their countries. Uh, all 20 countries are on three continents. Most of them are in Africa. Um, a few are in Asia. and uh, I think there are six countries in, in Oceania. Um, so it's typically uh, war-ridden countries. So they've, they've had some famine or other uh, disasters. Uh, or there are remote islands that very few people here even know about, uh, islands with no um, tourism budgets or marketing budgets or and, and also very poor infrastructure, few planes that fly there. So, so there are typically these two, two categories. Um, and then you have Turkmenistan, which is sort of uh, just a very strange country. With uh, <laughs> It's almost as strange as North Korea, let's say. Hmm. Um, but, but not quite at that level. But it, you know, other than that, it's uh, it's um, kind of all in its own category. Can you tell me a little bit why uh, Turkmenistan is is such an interesting or unique place or unique country? Well, they um, used to be part of the Soviet Union until it broke up, and then um, uh, the president uh, he uh, well let's or let's call him a dictator um, well was given. Um, complete powers. It's the fifth biggest uh, gas exporter in the world, which means they have loads of money. So he sort of took all this money and, and abused his power um, and put up more than 600 uh, white marble uh, buildings, um, uh, high rises in Ashgabat, the capital. Uh, he mm -hmm. built uh, statues of himself in gold. Um, he changed the names of the days of the week because uh, and named them after his, his family members and friends. He did the same with the months of the year. He um, he made all books in the country illegal except from one book that he had written himself, um, and so on and so forth. So it's it's, mm -hmm. it's, uh, it's just very very different to to almost every other country in the world. And I mean, North Korea is in a league of its own, uh, mm -hmm. but this is is very surreal. Um, and I mean, in Ashgabat, with all these marble houses, I mean, they're they're beautiful, but they're they're too expensive. So almost no people can afford to live there. So it's sort mm -hmm. of a ghost town in the middle of, of the capital. Uh, although you have twelve lane roads, you know, with almost no cars. Uh, so if mm -hmm. you want to experience Ashgabat, then you have to go to the outskirts, where you have the more traditional, uh, let's say, Soviet Union style buildings, really grey and boring high rises. But that's where people actually um, you know, live their lives. They go to the parks, they, they play outside, they go drinking, they go eating and all the rest of it. So it's just mm. a surreal experiences, experience to, to go to Turkmenistan. It's also one of the very few countries in the world where you actually need a guide to go as a tourist. The other two mm. are, are North Korea and, and currently Syria. 
Uh, so Bhutan used to be another one, but they have uh, abolished the, the absolute need for a guide so you can actually travel without one. I think Bhutan just in, uh, incorporated a $200 per day uh, tourist tax, I believe. Um, but Turk Turkmenistan, the way that you describe it sounds incredible because for me, I, I think the more that I travel, the more I want a culture shock. I want something to kind of just shock my senses from the norm. And hearing about a country like this just sounds like every day you just learn about something unique and that's completely different than any other country that we might know of. Uh, but yeah, that's definitely great to know. Now on that line, can I ask you, what are some of your favorite countries that you have visited and why? <laughs> well, this is a question I, I get typically, uh, I don't know, 10 times every week uh, in one form or another. And I, I can never really answer this question uh, because I think there are so many um, amazing countries out there, fantastic countries with, with wonderful people. Uh, so to sort of race one in front of another, I, I can't really do that. There was this American magazine uh, a few years ago. They asked me about the same thing. And I said, well, no, I can't really uh, rate uh, or give you the best country or, or rate a number of countries. But I'll give you a list of 12 countries uh, that I can recommend everyone to visit. Um, but, you know, there's one precondition here. You cannot rate them. You cannot say one, two, three, and up to 12. You just have to list them. But of course, this was a magazine. So, they, you know, they, the article had to start somewhere. And, uh, and I picked two countries from each uh, continent, each of the six inhabited continents. And in, um, in Europe, one of the countries I, I picked was Romania. And that was the country that put at the uh, top of the, the article. And within one day, I, every radio station and TV station in Romania called me and said, oh, you're saying Romania is the best country in the world. And I said, no, no, that's not exactly what I meant. I said, oh, that's amazing. So why do you think so? So I kind of just gave up and I just played along with it. So in Romania, people think I, uh, I, I, <laughs> people think I, I find Romania the best country in, in the world, yeah. um, even though I'd uh, sort of instructed them not to, <laughs> not, yeah. not to, to, to number them. I mean, there, I'm, I'm really a, a big fan of, um, of sceneries, nature. I also like, uh, uh, let's say, happening cities with uh, good food, with nightlife. Um, so, so, but, you know, it, it's, it's really hard to, to pick uh, one or even 10 or, or 15 countries and sort of rate them. Um, also, it kind of depends on how long you've spent in a country. Um, uh, and often I see the opposite. People say, no, no. They might not have a favorite country, but they have a least favorite country. And if you ask them, see, why is that? And say, no, no, I, I had food poisoning there and I was robbed. And say, of course, but, you know, that's not because of the country. You know, you were unlucky, perhaps. So maybe give it another chance instead of just knocking it and saying it's the worst country. So, so I don't know. I, I, I really can't come up with, with good answers to, to, um, to such questions. I, I, I just think it's... Um, you can find wonderful things in, in every country in the world. Um, and of course, there are always downsides. It might be racism, it might be sexism, it might be a dictatorship, it might be politicians, um, you know, it might be a lot of corruption or pollution. I mean, there, there might always be downsides, but you always find uh, wonderful things as well in, in every country. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's I, to, I, it's, it's I, just as a traveler, uh, to us as travelers, so our goal should really be to find those uh, <laughs> gems or find yeah. those, those, those good qualities of, of, of every country and then kind of look for them instead of trying to find the faults of, of, of each country. <laughs> well, it's true. I, I get a lot of uh, people who ask me what country they should go visit. And I always have to ask, well, it depends on what you're looking for. And I hesitate to give people advice on my favorite countries because nowadays they they tend to lean towards the country where there's no tourists and that's not always the best for other people they want to go to places that they've seen on instagram or they want to go to places where 20 of their friends have gone to and they've seen the pictures from the greek isles or from thailand and so i always i always try to preface it that way uh, well, let me get into a little bit more of like what your style of travel is. Are you staying in hostels? Are you staying in hotels, Airbnbs? How long are you staying everywhere? And what's your ideal of a great day in a new city, new country? Well, for you, there wouldn't no longer be new, but back in the day. 
Well, there are always new places in, in almost every country. I mean, maybe with the exception of Nauru and the Vatican and some very small countries. Uh, so I, I always try to, to visit new places or, or, you know, of course, sometimes I, I have made friends that I want to, to revisit. And, and uh, so, um, so there are always new places you can, you can see almost in every, in every country with, with regards to where I st I'm staying, typically, um, cheap hotels for hostels. Also use use sites such as Couchsurfing uh, to to you know stay for free in some on somebody's couch. It's it's a great way to to uh, meet uh, someone who actually lives in a country and to get expert advice on on what to see and what not to. I think too many people are, are relying on guidebooks um, instead of talking to the real experts. And the real experts are always the people who actually live in in in, in the city or town or village or whatever that you're actually uh, uh, visiting. I um. Uh, typically a good day for me is to to go out to explore it's it's about feeling the vibe it's about meeting people there it's about trying local foods um so, so it's about being out and that also is sort of connected to the reason why i'm not staying much in hotels uh, or especially not uh, nice hotels for expensive hotels i mean i'd rather spend my money on on exploring a place and in a hotel, you know, typically you don't really meet that many people. You have, might have a nice room and all the rest of it, and a beautiful balcony and maybe a good view. But I, I prefer to, to rather spend my money out and about um, and, uh, and explore and experience the, the, the place uh, properly. So the Airbnb, I, I also use uh, on occasion or other, um, uh, other sites where you can hire a, a flat. It, it depends on how long you're staying, really. If just a, a night or a, or two, a hostel or a hotel is, is typically uh, more convenient. Uh, whereas if you're staying longer, you like to have a kitchen and, and, be, and be able to at least make breakfast and, and, and stuff, uh, stuff uh, like that. When it comes to how long I'm staying, um, that totally depends as well. When I'm doing uh, book research, um, uh, the longer the better really, because you depending on, on getting the stories and, and, and sort of digging deep. Um, so I guess on average, I've, I've stayed between seven and, and 10 days in, in every country. Uh, but yeah, it, it totally depends. Um, the countries such as the Vatican, you know, you might not want, you want to stay too long in. <laughs> right. Too much to see there. It's the only country in the world without a hotel. So, so there I had to stay on stay on the ground outside on, on the pavement to, yeah. to, to be able to stay overnight. But um, I guess that's the, the country I've stayed the, the, the shortest in for, for good reasons. <laughs> yeah, there, there's a lot of people who say that it doesn't count unless you stay a night in a country. So the fact that you stayed a, a night on the ground in the Vatican was uh, a dedication. For sure. Uh, so let me, let me ask a little bit more about you started traveling when you were 17 years old. Uh, how has the way that you funded your trips changed over the years? Uh, how did you fund your trips starting at 17? And how did you make it all the way through to, to 198? Well, at 17, I was still in, in high school. So that was uh, saved up money. Um, uh, so I'd also been working at a little bit in, in a shop locally on the West coast to, to save up. And so after that, um, you know, I was studying and, and, um, not traveling that much. And then I got a job, uh, and, and since then I spent all, all the money I made on, on traveling. Um, and I've done that. I worked with Norwegian Broadcasting Corporation uh, in Norway for yeah, around 20 or a little over 20 years. Uh, and made the decent money and spent pretty much everything on, on travel. Then um, early 2021, I quit my job to, um, yeah, I don't know, to, to uh, put all my eggs in, in the travel basket, so to speak, and to, uh, to see if I can make a living um, permanently from writing books and doing speeches and, and podcasts and whatnot. Um, and I'm still managing, um, so we'll, we'll see for how long. Hopefully I'll be able to do this um, for quite some time. I'd rather enjoy, um, of course, the travel aspect, but also trying to um, uh, trying to maybe to inspire people in, in when it comes to, to travel or travel styles, maybe 
get them some different insights than uh, than you would get typically by following I don't know influencers or whatnot on on, on Instagram or TikTok or whatever. Um, and trying hopefully to to get people to to think twice about um, about travel overall and and about ways of, of travel. I think it's important to to let's say well to stimulate local economies. Um, to maybe not stay in in very fancy hotels that are owned by by you know some rich people in in, in the US or in Germany or wherever, uh, but rather you know stay in, in locally owned hotels and spend money in in locally owned restaurants and and, and all the rest of it. So uh, so hopefully I can contribute a, a bit when it comes to um, to to those kind of things and and, and ways of travel and, and also where people travel. I mean, we, so many people, they, they travel within this Western bubble I talked about earlier. And um, you don't really challenge yourself that much by doing that. You don't, um, you know, we have, of course, there are differences in culture. Um, but as opposed to, to visiting a third world, a world country, uh, one of the poorest countries in the world, and, and, and engaging with those uh, who live there, and, and at least it, it takes a long time to actually understand properly how, how they're how people are, are, you know, living their lives and, and, and their backgrounds and all the rest of it, but at least getting a glimpse into how they're uh, experiencing their lives in, um, in whichever country. So, so, and I think this is very valuable. It's, it's, it's about building bridges. It, it's about creating understanding between uh, various countries and, and various people. And I think with the challenges we're looking at right now with, with the, for instance, climate change, um, with uh, uh, conflict levels around the world, I think uh, we really need to, um, we can't really leave this to politicians and business people alone. We, uh, we have to help here and, and um, we as normal people have to, to um, contribute here and uh, make or create friendships uh, across cultures and, and build those bridges as well. So, Right now, you mostly make your living from your books and speaking engagements. Are is this one of your topics that you talk about a lot? Is uh, is climate change and uh, the the effects of it? Uh, what what are most of your, your your speaking engagements about, as well as your books? Yeah, well, it varies. Some of them are about uh, a given book or or several of the books. It can be some sometimes it's about climate change or sustainable travel. Um, sometimes they just come to me and, and give me a topic, uh, or or just uh, please come and, and tell funny stories or or, or whatnot. Um, so, so it really depends on on what uh, the the event organizer wants wants me to talk about. Sometimes it is uh, it's professional. It's for travel insurance companies. It might be for for um, travel agencies and, and so on. So so it kind of depends. So I'm trying to. Uh, to tailor uh, what I'm, I'm speaking about to to whichever uh, audience I'm, I'm I'm looking at, and when it comes sure. to um, when it comes to climate change and and, uh, uh, and such, of course, we as travelers are, are getting our fair share of, of criticism, and, and we should. Um, but we're seeing with the flight shame or plane shame, uh, which is a Swedish term, uh, flee scum, uh, plane shame. Mm-hmm. Uh, which we were hearing a lot about, uh, or we've been hearing a lot about recently. It's a little bit too simplistic, I think, because then you're pointing fingers at one group and you're saying, oh, if you guys who travel so much, if you just stop traveling, you know, we're going to save the planet. And that is way too, that's way too easy. Uh, the flying is, is accounting for between two and 4% of all emissions. So even if we, uh, if we made it illegal to, to go by plane, uh, tomorrow we would reduce at maximum four percent, and the local, the, well, the global economy would would um, would suffer quite substantially, and a lot of people would lose their their jobs. But if we instead we manage to cut um, cut emissions from aviation by I don't know twenty or forty percent, fifty percent, and if we do the same for every industry, well, then we're actually reducing emissions by between twenty and fifty percent. And I think that's where we need to have the focus. We need to. We need to think um, overall. We need to focus on every industry, and we can't just point fingers and, and try to shame people from, uh, you know, for, from one group or from one industry, whatever. I don't think shaming ever worked uh, throughout human history. Um, so here, I think we really need to work together uh, in between industries in order to to um, to fight climate change and hopefully um, resolve it. 
Sure. Yeah, I, I've had that situation before because I have talked about global warming and climate change before in on my stories, and I've had a couple of people wrote me and say that I'm essentially I'm a hypocrite. And I understand where they're coming from, kind of what you were saying before. It is a, a small part of it. Let me ask, uh, is there something that we can do more uh, on an individual level from your research, from what you've seen that people can do that might make an incremental change? Yeah, I think, we, again, we have to look uh, we, we have to look at our lives overall and we have to change our behaviors uh, across the board, so to speak. So maybe we, we spend less money on fashion or clothing and maybe we buy higher quality um, and, and use it longer um, instead of buying cheap stuff that lasts for a very short amount of, of time um, instead of driving our own cars everywhere they use more public transport um, use electrical vehicles when, when, when possible um, when we travel when we fly whether we fly or go by train or boat or whatever uh, maybe stay longer in each place, use local transport um, and, and travel more slowly. Also, um, use your money locally and, um, and and help local businesses thrive instead of going to chain shops and chain restaurants and using chain hotels. Um, so, so I think, uh, and also, you know, use your wallet in order to, to, to vote, so to speak. You know, when you go out, if, if you go to a hotel or restaurant, uh, whether it's a chain or not, uh, yeah, at least say, so, so where is this produced from? Uh, is it locally uh, produced, you know, has it, or has it been, you know, been transported all, all over the world? So, so, so we have to make uh, conscious decisions um, and ask questions. Um, if, you're, if you're going out on, on a trip and you're seeing, a, a, you know, an animal show with elephants, for, for example, well, you know, then you're probably not... Uh, then you know. Then, then you're putting money into uh, into uh, hurting animals. Uh, the same the same thing with um, with so-called um, uh, volunteerism. Um, you know, a lot of people they they travel the world and they go to work in orphanages, for instance, or they they go somewhere to teach English, um, and they actually pay money to do this. And you know, they then they pay pay the organizers or, or whoever is doing this to to stay in, in local hotels or whatever their own hotels uh, so i mean if you have to pay money uh to to do a job you know then you're doing something wrong then you're probably taking the job away from from local people uh that's one thing the, se the second thing you're not you're not um, educated to to work at an orphanage uh or to work as a teacher you know so you're doing a lot of harm and then you're just going to be there maybe for two weeks or, or two months and that's doing a lot of harm to the kids. You know, they're they're getting new teachers or new uh, new caretakers every two weeks or every four weeks. Whereas you're sort of saying, oh, well, you know, I'm, I'm helping the world. I'm now working at an orphanage, and you're making TikTok videos and Instagram photos. Uh, you know, sort of bragging about how how good you are. Uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of things here that we really need to look into, uh, and where we should make conscious decisions and ask ourselves: Is this um, is, is, is this a good way? You know, should we really be doing this? Um, so, so, so I think we, we should think twice, um, you know, at every decision we make when, when it comes to, to travel. Everything from mode of transport to kind of activities that we, we undertake and to the places we stay or, or the places we eat at. Yeah, to touch on that a little bit, uh, I, and there's been criticism, and I've always thought it was a little bit... Uh, a little bit interesting when you see these influencers who will go up to a homeless person and record the whole interaction of giving them money or, you know, taking them to a ball game or do something uh, special for somebody in need. And I've thought about it in both ways. I, I think in one, one hand, it's like they're highlighting the, the good deeds that we can make in somebody's lives. Uh, but I also feel like it's uh, such a, a it's such a shameless uh, plug for themselves as well as uh, kind of exploiting these people. But uh, yeah, it's, it's very debatable on um, a lot of these actions that, that people do on TikTok or on Instagram. Uh, can I ask you a bit about, you touched upon about some of your speaking engagements. Some people tell you to just tell funny stories. Uh, 
so what, what are some of these funny stories that you've had since you were the one to bring it up first anyway? So well, let, let's hear some of your funny travel stories. Well, you know, it's, uh, it, it, there are so many things that you experience when, when you travel. So it's, um, uh, <laughs> there, there, is, there are lots to, to, to take from, you know, for instance, when I was going to Afghanistan for the first time, uh, I figured, you know, I should probably call my mom and tell her I'm going to Afghanistan. So I'm picking up the phone and say, hey, mom, what's up? Um, and how are my siblings? And what's the weather like? Um, and then blah, 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 she's answering. And then I'm saying, and, and by the way, I'm, I'm going on, on holiday to Afghanistan tomorrow. Uh, okay, she answers. And I'm well, aren't you supposed to be a little bit worried, mom? Gunner, come on, I've got six other siblings or six other kids, she said, you know. <laughs> so it's sort of, uh, it really made me, um, I've told this story quite a few times and it really cracks up people because, uh, uh, that was my mom's uh, mom's reaction, and I was like, okay, yeah, well, thank, thanks a lot. And I asked her later, well, did you really mean that? And I said, nah, no, that was kind of a joke and, and such. Um, you have, you, I don't know, you have you have other uh, stories um, from I don't know. You can almost pick a country, and you know, you can you can come come up with with uh, good good stories. It's um, it, it, I was going into Turkmenistan, as we talked about earlier, with um, with my brother and two friends. And we're coming from Iran, which is a dry country in, in more ways than one. Um, and we've uh, we've taken a taxi to the border. You cross over, and as I said, you need a, you need a guide there. And this is a really there's a big guy called Uleg. He's sort of um, uh, well, two meters tall, um, a lot taller than me. Um, you know, so sort of hand, shake hands upwards uh, to him. Um, and he's saying, welcome to Turkmenistan. Are you here for girls or for drink? <laughs> and I guess it's a legitimate question. And it probably says a lot about yeah. Iranians that, that are coming to Turkmenistan. And I'm, yeah. I'm saying, well, I'm, I'm sure we're going to have some drinks, um, but we all have girlfriends at home. And his response is, so? <laughs> um, so, yeah, but Oleg, do you not believe in love? Love was invented by the French. They were too cheap to pay for prostitutes. Is his response. <laughs> so it's it's just like oh, what a character. That really, that sort of uh, we didn't really know what to respond uh, to that one. So so he kind of uh, silent silenced us us uh, there. So um, yeah. it's quite funny there and then. Of course, it's also saying something about the culture there and and about women being being used as prostitutes. So there's a deeper issue at bay here as well. But uh, yeah. It, it, um, it, did crack us up at the time. Well, Turkmenistan is sounding more and more appealing. I I have not been there, of course, but not for the the prostitutes or drink. But you know, it's more just it just sounds like such a like a lot of characters. It's such a unique country. Uh, what about some of your? Now you were kind of elusive in in answering your favorite countries, which I understand it's a difficult question to answer. What are some of your favorite memories? And where do those uh, memories take place? Oh, there, there are uh, again a lot of them. Um, I don't know. It's not my favorite memory. It's quite a sad story, actually. That was in uh, Afghanistan, and we were um, being shown around by by two uh, brothers um, in in Herat, in the west. It's a small city, um, and you know, really nice guys. We were getting a really you know good connection. And then, you know, so after two days, they, they invite um, they invite us to um, to to a wedding. So one of is is their cousin who's getting married. Um, and oh yeah, fantastic! So when is it? Yeah, it was two days later. And we sort of okay, well, we need some nicer uh, you know clothes or whatever, or or at least shoes. I think so we got some black shoes. And then uh, and then uh, what is, I don't know. One day later, and then they stopped talking about the wedding. And we're sort of okay, but the wedding is tomorrow. So I was like, okay, so what time is it? And clearly, they don't really want to talk about it anymore. So we're saying, okay, well, it's been cancelled, or what's happening? And then they reluctantly tell us that the, the mother um, of of the the wife to be, uh, she had been killed in in a, in a terror explosion. So of course, the wedding was called off. And they were kind of ashamed that this had happened, so they didn't really want to tell us. But uh, you know, so it went from this uh, really happy uh, inviting us to this wedding, and wanted uh, wanted us to experience this, uh, to sort of the total opposite. And uh, 
and, and deep, deep sadness. Um, this is not a favorite memory in, in, in any way, but it really stands out as well. And it, it shows how, how fast things can, can change in, in that matter. I was also in, in, in Kiribati in, um, in Oceania. Um, and, um, I was, uh, it was a Friday and I'd been there for quite a few days. So, it's, you know, met a lot of local people there. Uh, and so they're asking me, so Gunnar, what's, uh, what are you doing tomorrow? I said, no, I don't have any plans. So, oh, do you want to, do you want to come to a birthday party? I said, oh, so yeah, that sounds super cool. So whose who's, um, birthday is it? It's Randall. Uh, Randall, I don't think I, I know him. So, so which birthday is it? I said, the most important birthday of his life. I said, ooh, I said, is it going to be 18 or 20, 21 or 50, 100 perhaps? Um, you know, thinking, you know, that would be the most important uh, birthday for, for, for us in, in the Western world. I said, Ghana, we have uh, among the highest uh, uh, rates of mortality in, in, in babies uh, in Kiribati. He's going to be one year old. You know, uh, that he made it so far is definitely worth uh, celebrating. You know, so it's a, it's a totally different way of, of looking at it. And, and of course, one year, you know, managing um, in in in, um, in Kiribati with these high mortality rates, and you know, it's a lot of diseases and and, and not not. It made total sense. And I'm invited to this, and we go to the the birthday party, and there are two or two or three hundred guests. Um, there are seven uh, pigs, you know, being barbecued over fire. There are lobsters, there are fish, there is there is steak, there is uh, pig, there is you know, pork, there is sort of everything, uh, loads of vegetables, and and there's it's a huge party, and you just realise that wow, this is is really is really important here. Uh, of course, this um, the, the grandfather of Randall, he was uh, he had the monopoly in Kiribati. He was the only one who could legally import beer, so he, so he had a lot of money which was how he was able to throw such a big party. But I mean, anyone with, with a baby that turns one will throw a party, even though it's, it's much smaller than, uh, than having 200 guests. So, so again, that's sort of, um, it's a different perception, you know, a different uh, way of looking at things. It's not about being 18 and being allowed to, to you know, drive and, uh, and drink, but it's, it's, it's actually about celebrating your first uh, birthday, you know, which, um, which you'll never remember yourself anyway, but to, to the rest of the community, it's, it's very important. Well, it's something that you had brought up earlier. I mean, all these experiences are, are very humbling and you bring that back to your own country or your own experiences and you realize that you have it so well. Can I ask about some of your most harrowing experiences traveling, most difficult experiences traveling? Uh, it couldn't have been easy to get to every country. Uh, what were some difficult situations that you might have been placed in? I guess I've been relatively lucky. I haven't had, uh, let's say, very nasty experiences. I was in Gabon once and I was walking. It was around midnight. I was in Libreville, the, the capital. And I was walking on the main street and suddenly two guys, they just jumped me and dragged me into dark alley alleyway. And, um, and I, of course, I've been thinking about this might actually happen at some point. I'm likely to, to get robbed. Um, and I've been sort of training myself. If that happens, I'm just going to give away everything, you know, a phone, wallet, a passport, whatever. Uh, it's not worth dying over, you know, some, some pieces of paper. And maybe you had your baggage with you. Uh, no, I didn't have any luggage. I, I'd been in, in a restaurant, so uh, there's no okay. luggage. Um, so it's going on, on, on the way back to my, my hotel or hostel. Mm. Um, so, but, but the moment they jumped me and they even had one of those uh, taser guns that they were shooting at me with, and I couldn't sense any of that. So I don't think it was a very good taser gun. Um, but weird. I became so furious. I really, and so I started fighting back and I managed mm. to, to eventually, because they threw me down on the ground and ripped my shirt and everything. And eventually I managed to, to fight my way back up. And I managed to drag both of them and, and push them or pull them, whatever, out on the street again. I, I, I think I've, I don't think I've ever had that much adrenaline in my body ever. Um, mm -hmm. Even though I've trained myself, I'm not going to really do that. I'm not going to do the hero approach or fight back. I'm just going to give away everything. But when it actually happened, I became so furious that I actually started um, fighting. 
And in the end, they managed to take my phone. It was an old banger of a phone, not worth much. Uh, mm -hmm. They didn't manage to take my passport, luckily, or my wallet or my money. Um, but, you know, when, when they got back out into the lit streets, they, they were, one of them grabbed my phone and then they ran away. Um, mm -hmm. so it all happened so fast. I, I never had the time to really be scared, but that's probably the, uh, the nearest I've been uh, something uh, <laughs> potentially... Um, very dangerous and, and you know it's really stupid i should have done what i had planned to do if they'd had a, a knife or a real gun i probably would not have been sitting here today so um mm -hmm. but i think that was the only time I've, I've really sort of felt that uh, okay this could have gone uh, much much worse than it did sure uh, what, what country was this in or what's in gabon in, in west africa um, okay the, the capital there i see yeah, fortunately for me, I haven't, of course, haven't been to as many countries as, as you've been, but I haven't had any situations like that. Typically, I I don't wear any jewelry. I think most people who travel know not to wear any jewelry. Uh, I'll just bring a credit card and ID, leave my passport at home. Uh, that in maybe like twenty forty dollars. If I get robbed, then I'm okay. I lose one credit card. I have another credit card. I uh, I have my passport. I'll, I'll bring my California driver's license. Uh, are there some tricks of the trade that you go with when you're traveling to uh, avoid uh, being a target? Yeah, well, stuff like you're saying, but that's sort of a more uh, precautionary um, uh, uh, things to do to not be a target. Well, um, I, I don't know. I, I mentioned earlier I only travel with um, with hand luggage. So I don't have you know I don't have a big suitcase that might potentially have loads of valuables in it. Um, uh, and also it makes me more flexible and it's faster to, to, to get away from a potentially dangerous situation. Um, other than that, I don't wear any jewelry or watches or, or necklaces, uh, nothing like that. Um, I spend most of my money on travel. So I'm, you know, I don't, I don't have any fancy, uh, designer clothing or, you know, very expensive, uh, clothing, uh, like that so, so you know trying to i mean i'm in so many countries i'm, I'm never going to be able to blend in uh, anyway uh, so so then it's 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 more about just trying to downplay um or not trying to 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 appear as, as a filthy rich person or, uh, or whatnot i mean people are going to assume you're rich anyway since you're you're able to travel there and um um but at least you know, try try to sort of downplay it, and uh, and then smile. You know, try to be uh, nice to people, you know, and um, um, and uh, maybe of course, if it's night, it, it's always good to walk with with someone, uh, preferably uh, local people. Um, and again, taxis, you know, have somebody order them for you instead of picking them up on the street. I don't know. It's pretty much common sense uh, things, uh, things like like that, really. Sure. Uh, what about travel hacks for people out there who want to see more of the world? Is there something that they can do to see it, see more countries, and do it more efficiently at a lower cost? Well, I think it's usually much more. It's much cheaper to travel um, overland. Uh, so I mean, typically you you fly to to one place and then you overland uh, either by train or uh, or like big buses or, or small buses uh, or shared taxis. And that can typically save you a lot of money. You also get in touch with people with with local people uh, that actually live there. Um, um, so so I think that's a good way. It's not. I wouldn't call it a hack really. If you want to save money, I recommend to use, uh, I don't know, a kayak or sky scanner or one of those and to to search from, from various um, cities. For instance, uh, coming from Europe, if you're going to go to South America, if you if you search from Oslo, you will probably get a quite a high price. If you search from London or Amsterdam or Frankfurt or Warsaw or, or some other city in Europe, um, you will probably get a much lower price because all these airlines, they have campaigns in different countries um, at any given time. So if you, if you spend that extra time and, and search for tickets from various countries, you will probably save quite a lot of money. And then instead of buying a through fare, you then buy a separate ticket to London or Warsaw or wherever you find the cheapest ticket to. Um, then I'd also recommend it to, um, instead of then, because then um, you might get uh, quite a few hours to, to wait in between, uh, long layover 
So maybe then just, uh, you know, stay one night or two nights in, in Warsaw or London um, uh, on the way out. And, and then you get a holiday in your holiday and you get to spend, you know, see one more city perhaps or, or go back to a city you've been to before. Um, so, so I don't know if I would call it a, a travel hack, but that can save you some money and it will also um, potentially let you see see uh, see more places than you would uh, otherwise, uh, otherwise uh, do. Sure. So can I ask what's next for Gunnar Garforce? You've been to every country twice around. Is there going to be a third time? What else, what else do you want to accomplish in the travel spectrum? Well, you know, if there are any sponsors, potential sponsors out there that want to pay for my third round, you know, be, be my guest, get in touch, please. (laughs) Right now I'm working on a, on a book about the equator and the Arctic circle and the Antarctic circle. So I'm traveling to those 21 countries. There are 13 countries around the equator and eight countries around the Arctic Circle and then you have Antarctica as well. Um, so that's taking uh, pretty much most of my uh, time these days, time and resources. Uh, so this book is due out next year. So I'll be busy traveling for that one to, to those countries in question, uh, probably for the next um, half year or, or, or so. Um, what I'm going to do after that, I, I don't know. I haven't decided yet, but, uh, you know, always thinking of, of new ideas, new, good, uh, hopefully good ideas for, for books. Um, so, you know, the, 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 the first one was about, uh, well, my journey to every country in the world. Then you have the 20 least visited countries. Now you have the equator and the Arctic circle countries. So I don't know. We, we will see which one will be, um, uh, will we'll be coming up next. But um, yeah, if you have any good ideas, um, please feel free to to let me know. <laughs> sure. So that first book, when you uh, travel to every country in the world, how, how are you telling the story? Are you just uh, talking about every country that you visited or, or wh- how is the, the narrative format of that first book? Yeah, well, I didn't really want to do an A to Z kind of book or uh, group it by a continent or, or the timing of, of my visits to them. Uh, so I tried to group them in in, um, um, in theme chapters. So there's one that, that deals with trouble with the police. There's one that's called island hopping. Uh, there is one that's called uh, drinking and partying, I think. Can't remember the exact names of the of the chapters. So I've sort of grouped every country in one of these themed um, uh, chapters. One is called the Stan countries, the seven stans. So I try to be a bit creative when it comes to to uh, to grouping the the chapters. Whether that's uh, successful or not, I'm, I'm not sure. But I, I at least I, I I thought it kind of stood out from from a lot of other travel books I'd read. Um, so I think there are. I can't remember, 25 different uh, chapters and, and every country is in one out of those uh, themed uh, chapters. Okay, nice. So where can listeners uh, and watchers find more information about your books, about your travels? Uh, can you point them in the direction to find out more about you? Yeah, well, the easiest is probably to go to my website. It's garforce.com, so my last name, .com. Uh, and then I'm also on Instagram, Primarily, it's probably the most important uh, platform I'm, I'm on. And also there on Garfors or at Garfors on, on Instagram. Okay, so I have uh, one more question, and that is another kind of another way to ask what your favorite country is. Uh, <laughs> but if you were not living in Oslo, where would you live? Oh, uh, that's, uh, that's a good question. I don't know. I, I do like the sea, so I think it would have to be... Um, be a country um, nearby the sea or a city nearby the sea. Um, I'm a big, uh, I don't know, I'm, I'm quite intrigued by um, by um, Asia, a big fan of both uh, Japan and, and South Korea. Um, Seoul is not really on the sea, it's, it's on, on a river. Uh, so I don't know, perhaps Seoul or Tokyo would be, uh, uh, well, they would be among the top options, so for sure. Right. At the same time, you know, Africa is, is, is yeah. stunning and, and really special. So uh, um, that's which city they, they, in Africa, I'm not quite sure about. <laughs> well, you, you know, when I put this out, the, the headline will be Gunnar Garforce chooses Seoul, Korea as the best country, best city and country in the world. 
you know. Well, there so, you go. Yeah, it's, uh, it is an amazing city. Seoul is definitely yeah. one of my favorite so, big cities. So. Romania will be disappointed. Well, the Romania will be cheat. They'll, they'll feel a little bit cheated if they see a headline like that. So I don't want to well, get you in know, trouble. They have their yeah. time, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, Gunnar, uh, is there anything else that you'd like to add? No, thanks a lot for having me, Kevin. It was uh, it was a really nice uh, talk. So um, I appreciate uh, appreciate you having me on on your show. I appreciate it as well. Thank you very much, and we'll follow your travels uh, in, in garforce.com also. Thank you. All right. Take care, Kevin. Remember, you can find more information about today's interview subject at pickmyadventure.com and discover more interviews. Don't forget to subscribe. See you next time on Pick My Adventure. I'm your host, Kevin Liu. You can find out more about me on Instagram at Pick My Adventure Traveler, where I let you pick my destinations and travel activities through polls. Uh -huh.